Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Robotics. I'm your host, Nikki, and it's a pleasure to introduce you to the robotics and AI community in Australia. Today, my guest is Dr. Aim Sinping. Aim is a senior lecturer in the School of Social and Political Sciences at the University of Sydney. She is an award-winning author and educator. Her research focuses on the intersection of tech and politics with a regional focus on Southeast Asia. Her current projects include AI and gender bias in STEM education in Asia, a collaboration with Google and cyber repression in Thailand, a three-year project funded by the Australian Research Council that looks at how state agency employ AI and surveillance software to repress and manage dissent. AIM has a Doctor of Philosophy, Political Science and Government from the University of British Columbia. AIM, welcome and thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Tell us a little bit about your journey and how you ended up in Australia. Well, I was looking for a job uh, after I finished my PhD and there's no better place in the world to research Southeast Asia than Australia. So here I am. And I, I, I just find it so fascinating because I'm originally from Thailand and Australia was the first foreign country I visited as a child when I was five years old. Uh, and it's just surreal to be back here, living here and, and actually become Australian. And I love the fact that so many Australians travel to Thailand. And there's a, uh, I don't know if you know, but Sydney has the third largest, Thai, third largest Thai expat community in the world. Oh, wow. I didn't know so I feel, that. Yeah, I feel very much at home here. No wonder there's so many Thai restaurants wherever you go in Australia. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a recent phenomenon in the past 10 years only. Yeah. So tell me, you're working on the AI and gender bias in STEM education in Asia. Tell us about this work. Sure. Uh, so I, you know, I'm a political scientist. I studied how politics impacts society. And um, I just stumble upon AI and gender bias almost as by chance. It's really not in my career uh, trajectory in any way. Um, but in the past seven years, I've been working a lot on the intersection of social media and politics. So looking at things like um, disinformation, misinformation, cyber attacks, and then eventually um, the role of AI. I mean, AI has always been part of it, but I think, you know, for someone, non, for a non-technical person like me, it just didn't really occur to me that, you know, AI can have a role in all of these political phenomena, elections, how we study, how we choose our career, how we choose, uh, how we make decisions. So um, my university, University of Sydney, is really pushing for us to make our research speak to the Sustainable sustainable Development Goals or the SDGs. And so I've been thinking, you know, now having two children um, and, you know, taking my son to the coding class and the teach the, the, the owner of the coding class is a, is a woman, but everyone there was a boy. Yeah. <laughs> and she, you know, and, and just thinking about myself, but why am I not? studying science uh, and just reflecting all that I have a daughter now as well. So this is kind of come full circle about the role of gender bias in STEM. Uh, 
and had a chat with Google and they said, you know, we really want to push for women in tech and any, any kind of research or studies that looks at how our products might influence decisions of whether or not people want to pursue particular career choice or study opportunities. We're interested, especially if it's relevant to the Asia Pacific region. So that's how we kind of came together looking at Google products and how they may have the gender bias that could impact how women and girls in the Asia Pacific region decide what to study and what career they want to pursue. And what were, what's the results of your, your research? So far, so we're just, uh, we're, we just began, uh, but preliminary analysis already identified a key Google product that we focus on, which is Google Translate. Mm -hmm. So Google Translate is probably one of the most used products uh, of Google uh, services other than Google search and image. And we do find that when we translate um, sentences uh, or phrases relating to STEM, from English to a number of Asian languages, we do see the translation becoming gendered. For example, um, I focus on Thai language first because that's the language I speak. Um, when I translate, so a number of Asian languages are gender neutral, mm -hmm. which means they don't have gender, mm -hmm. but English is not. Uh, and a number of West European languages are not. Uh, some have even like the neutral gender and the feminine and masculine. And when they get translated over, um, um, they, the gender neutral terms in the Asian languages take on he or she based on certain professions. So for example, we find that in particular professions like engineer, scientist, doctor, teachers, they get translated to he where nurse uh, gets translated to she. And we're trying to play around with more professions at this moment, trying to figure out if we can make a list of professions where this translation becomes gendered. And if we add uh, sentiment, for example, good or bad into the sentence, and does that change the translation? So is it more likely that the, if the, the, um, the sentence is negative, for example, he is a bad engineer, oh, sorry, she is a bad nurse versus she is a good nurse, is the algorithm more likely to err on the side of negative when, it's a, when they perceive it to be a woman? And so that's kind of where we stumble upon this project. And it was so interesting to talk to Google because Google knows about this, right? Um, they said, look, we're sure they're biased in, in our products. It's gender bias. We're not doing anything about it at the moment because our priority is to increase the number of languages it covers. But as it increases the number of languages they cover across their services, it likely produces bias because the data they use to train their products on probably contain bias, mm -hmm. right? And it leads to this kind of almost a philosophical um, discussion about what Google wants to do with the world. Mm. Uh, on the one hand, Google can be a mirror to society, mm. right? So the society's bias is just reflecting that bias through its image, search, translation, and other products. Or it wants to correct that bias, right? Does it want, and you know, I had a great chat with the head of AI research at Google, Ben Hutchinson, who said, do we want to raise girls growing up 
knowing that the world is wrecked, uh, you know, uh, it's rigged against them. And so they become all feisty and want to fight for it. Or do we try to rectify the problems and present a more, much more beautiful world to these girls than it actually is? Where does Google stand? And um, from their perspective, they are trying very hard to just be politically neutral, therefore adopting the first proposition, which is, we're just reflecting back all the biases. Mm -hmm. And so where does the room for us to then trying to rectify some of these biases that actually could really impact how girls understand what their life chances are? What does it mean to go on Google search and type the word engineer and the images you see are almost all male and white male? Mm. Um, does that impact the way they understand this profession? And does that, does that, this, is that contributing to the gender inequity in STEM profession that we still see today that is quite difficult to narrow? It's uh, first up, kudos to Google for acknowledging there's a problem, you know, because that's the first step. We have a problem and that they've acknowledged that they're part of the problem. I mean, it is reflected back, but things, as you said, could be done better. Do you see this reflected in Australia? Australia, well, it's in English, right? Um, and I think there are many sources of bias. If you're asking where that gender equity comes from in STEM profession in Australia, according to the current research, it's happening somewhere in uni. Because a number of women who had gone into uni in STEM fields are equal to male, but the number of female graduates really dropped dramatically. So somewhere along that three, four year education, women dropped out. And maybe AI plays a part in it, but this, this is a multi-faceted problem, mm. right? Why women drop out of engineering, why women drop out of, I don't know, data science, what have you. And you probably through your podcast talk to many women professionals in STEM. Um, there, there are definitely other variables, but the, 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 the problem that Australia women face is the different stage of development than the women in Asia face. The drop off of interest in STEM in general, and especially math in the Southeast Asian region I'm looking at happens between the age of nine and 12. It's just the way the education curriculum are organized. Mm -hmm. So if you are going to go into math and science, that decision comes very early. Yeah. And then you have to make that, that choice uh, to, to, to what to focus on. And that's where the huge drop off comes from. And it's a combination of, you know, political, cultural, social factors, and also, you know, the kind of factors of the worldview, you know, a, a much more patriarchal society, um, and so on and so forth. Even though girls are doing as well as boys at school, even, and in fact, even better. Um, so I think, um, compared to Australia, the the life chances and the opportunities afforded to girls and women here, at least carry them all the way through high school and to uni. And the drop off kind of happens a bit later on. I think, compared to I think you're right. And I think um, Australian schools is slightly later where they start making the STEM um, humanities decision, which, which streams they're gonna go into. 
And I think it's got a lot to do with cohorts as well for girls. You know, where are their friends going? And that's very, it's such a, it's such an influenceable age where I think teachers could be maybe doing a little bit more to say to girls and encourage them in terms of career possibilities um, not just teachers, but predominantly teachers because they're the educators, but parents as well to say to their children, look, these are career opportunities. And, you know, I was talking to someone the other day that where do you start this influence? It's in kindergarten when you've got all the pictures of the firemen and firewomen. You know, you've got pictures of a, yeah. of a, a gardener, it's male and female. You know, you've got a mechanic, it's male and female. You know, you, there's no, there should be no gender bias against anyone, let alone, you know, it's not just women, it's across the board of people are capable of doing any careers that they set their minds to. Yeah. So the second, you know, you asked me about findings. The second findings that we have is when we look at the Google image search. Yeah. And when I type the word engineer, you know, photos of male, um, Caucasian male usually, but also sometimes cartoon, but male, white male cartoons. But when you type, and I type in Thai, and when you type studying engineers, you start to see more women and more women from Thailand. And so I presented this to Google and I said, I understand that your algorithms pick up data from all sorts of places and I've identified where the change has come from. And that is, we are seeing more women, also indigenous women, right? Uh, you know, Thai women, if you type in Thai, um, presented because the changes is coming from the bottom. Mm -hmm. The changes are coming from more universities and institutes in Thailand actively trying to recruit more women to study STEM. Mm -hmm. And that then gets reflected back onto the Google algorithm search yeah. when you type in Thai. And Google said, this is exactly what we want to happen. Since we're taking a stance that we, are, we can fix, we will not fix a broken society because politically we can't afford it. Mm -hmm. Because politically, because, you know, if, you, if you're gonna take a political stance that we're gonna fix this broken system and society, but then which side of politics are you on? And we, they can't afford to go into that political fight. So then the question is, if there had been changes reflecting in our algorithms, where are the changes coming from? And I was able, we were able to identify this and said it's coming from these particular institutions. And that is such a great insight to them. I said, this is what we need more of because the changes from there are getting picked up by alg algorithms and therefore it's changing the way the results come out in the image search. And that's what they want. So in fact, in some way, we identify very direct and highly consequential pathway for the Google algorithm change to occur without Google actually having to make the change themselves because they're not going to. So are you tracking the changes from the time that you've been studying this to or you and Google together, it, like a 10-year plan to see what, what progression there is for women going into STEM? I hope you are. I hope so. <laughs> I hope you are. <laughs> we're gonna need a lot. We're gonna need. Uh, we're gonna need a lot more funding than that. But this is such an important conversation to have, and unfortunately, you know, it's one of those things that tech company realize the problem is there, but they're not doing anything about it because it's not their priority, and it's not their priority because it's not the problem isn't important. It's just that the problem is. It's just not part of their business development plan. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and and there are definitely sympathetic voices, important voices within the organization, the tech companies who want to see, you know, research done on this because it then helps them to help convince their boss to, to like say, look, you know, look at all this data. Yeah, we know that there's bias now. These researchers have demonstrated that there's actual bias that can have, you know, really uh, negative consequences. Can we do something about it? Can we can we um, get an engineer or two to come fix it? So with the conversation with, with, with Google engineers, I realized a few things, right? The first one is the engineers that work on the Google Translate algorithms obviously don't represent a most of the languages in the world yeah. right and so because they're not working on the product based on their language knowledge mm -hmm. it's based on their technical expertise yeah and so we're talking to engineers who don't understand these languages at all most of the time right nine percent of the time so that's one problem but we can't fix that because this is it's just you know um but it it makes you think you know like well okay unlike content moderation that social media companies do where they're looking at content to see whether that is hate speech or is this um is this disinformation you need someone who understands the language and they do continue to hire even though there's not enough content moderators who speak those languages this is not going on in google products on on, a, on key items like translation um and secondly, if we're able to marshal enough evidence that the consequence of their algorithms actually can be offensive, um, is negatively impacting the lives of people in some ways, there's an argument to be made for them to then think about doing something about it. Because the business model of Google and I think most tech company is that engineers are centralized they're like cost center. So you have you're 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 kind of siloized into product teams. And each product teams need to get engineers to work on something for them. And Google Translate, unfortunately, is a free service. Like Google Search and Google Image. So they don't have a big budget within their teams. And so to convince the 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 the, the boss to say, hey, there's a gender bias in the translation language of this language you know some language in asia can you get an engineer to fix that and then i said well how much is that going to cost me because this you know if i have to get the engineer who's working something else um that is making us money and pull him or her or they to work on google translate which doesn't bring us money what's the cost and benefit for this right so that's the kind of thinking that i didn't understand until I speak to the people inside. And that's why their collaboration is so important because it's not just giving me the view of where the problem may be, but why there hasn't been any progress in doing more about the problem. So if a company as wealthy as Google, um, because let's admit they've got like bucket loads of money, uh, where does their yep. social, where does their social responsibility come in all of this? Like you can't just go, oh, like we know about the problem and you know we don't have the money because they do have the money. They're just deciding where to allocate it. Yeah, I think it's just there's so many problems. Yeah. So which problem do they go after first? This one Google quite Translate is like <laughs> it's like heavily used but free. So, you know, versus YouTube that gets a lot of bad press. 
is not a free service. So a lot of the problem fixing, and you can see, and I, you know, I work on our, I work um, on on social media, especially YouTube, with this information before, and you can see how much work they're putting in to try to, you know, basically reduces um, the chances that their recommendation system would lead people to watch more and more conspiracy theory videos or videos from unauthoritative sources. Like the changes were obvious. Like if you use YouTube every day, you see like during COVID, especially, you know, yeah. pushing up the content from the WHO and all that, putting down a content from so-called um, low authoritative sources. Uh, a lot of the engineers are working on that, right? Google Translate, well, no one has complained about gender bias really um their first recognition the problem was last in 2021 from english to spanish and that was the end of it <laughs> so i just think you know yeah how can abc not be able to afford this and it's sort of like well you know if i as a researcher can shine a spotlight on this problem demonstrate with actual empirical data that the problem does exist in a larger scale and publish a paper or two about this because you know a lot of the engineers publish their work. Present uh, I've already got an invitation to present to them uh, in their office. This is probably the most direct way I can nudge them to potentially do something, and 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 I think that's really worth it. I think it's groundbreaking work because it doesn't sound as though it's been done anywhere else for Google and recognizing that these little insidious little nuances in which directions they take us have critical and long-lasting impacts on people's lives it's it's yeah absolutely thank you yeah, <laughs> i tell them that too and they yeah, know they know they it. know you know it's just, just a matter of convincing the the people in their own organization that have the money yeah it's so fasc- it's, it's so fascinating to me that you um, in the School of Social and Political Sciences, and you've gone into like this really tech field. Did you ever think that your career was going to do this? No, uh, at all. I mean, I'm not very tech savvy. Like half the time I couldn't get the PowerPoint up properly. You know, like I tell my <laughs> student, like, I, I don't know how to change my Zoom background. Like, you know, and I teach digital politics. I teach social media all the time. I do social media analysis, but like, I can't find the torch button on my phone. Like I'm just, I like my password has been hacked so many times because I can't remember what I actually put in. Like I just, you know, and I think I, I, I just, in some ways I reflect on this and I love the fact that I work on this and I'm just a very ordinary person. You know, I'm the average person who's the end user, you know, who's partially inept technically. And I'm seeing all this stuff. And I think that's good, you know, like you don't have, and in some ways you can have a really, you know, speaking of why women are not in STEM, what have you, you can really have a very diverse career like you mentioned, um, going to all sorts of fields just because you're curious. And that's what I see in my children is that curiosity that children were born with and that that's got to keep going, you know, Um, and, 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 and the, um, the courage to take on issues that you don't understand. I couldn't agree um, with at you. all. I agree with you. And I think, you know? I think to your point of, you know, 
being slightly technically challenged, let's call it that. Like from my point of view, when I started my robotics company, right, I really knew about technology. You know, I so say you could have written it on a postcard or like, you know, maybe even less than that. But that's the beauty of it because you can actually learn. And actually it's good having someone like me in technology because I ask questions that people may be afraid to ask because I simply yeah. don't understand it. So if you if you can't cater to my base level of ignorance, who can you cater to? You know, like you just simply have to do that. Yeah. And, you know, you're a great role model because you you're a model to to women and everyone like you can be um, you can succeed in a tech career without being very high tech yourself. Yeah, because tech knowledge, you know, tech field is very diverse. In yeah. fact, needs more people who are non-technical people are they- ask important questions, like you say. That's it, because this is the diversity that makes it up. And then you go, you know, when they um, the seatbelt was developed, was developed by my, my men. And when they actually put it on women, they found that their breast bones broke because, like, it cut across them because it was developed by men. You know, like, it's a simple thing. You need diversity in everything you do in all designs. Um, so. Yeah, absolutely. And more, more people to ask why. Yeah, you know, as AI takes over, I'm getting emails from my university vice chancellor saying, "Oh my God, what are we gonna do with Chat GPT now? Students are not gonna write essays themselves." I'm like, "Well, you know, (laughs) I use Chat GPT just to see what's going on, and it's super scary because you ask a question and it gives you one answer, yeah, but it doesn't tell you why, and you're like, what have we lost here? (laughs) What's going on? (laughs) Nobody asked." Anymore. Well, and also to just put a finer point on a chat, GTP isn't always correct, you know, like so I had a host earlier yeah. and she was saying she Googled some papers and it said, oh, there's been research done on this. And, and actually, when she looked at it, it hadn't. So it's misinformation. So yeah. you have to be careful. Yeah, absolutely. And so we want to raise a generation of children who constantly ask why and keep asking, That's you know. It. It's, it's just, just need to keep, I mean, my two-year-old daughter asked that all day and it's a bit annoying sometimes, but this is, you know, we're trying to encourage, it's like, why, why, no, why, yes. No, no. I was going to ask you why she didn't do, do coding, but I know now she's two years old. She's maybe a bit young. Yeah, so. like, yeah, yeah, okay. No more question, no more question. <laughs> Tell me about your work with Google and cyber suppression in Thailand. Like, that sounds really interesting. Oh, Yeah. Oh, God, like cyber. So I've been working forever to studying protests and why people protest in a country that Aussies go on vacation, but they don't remember or realize sometimes that it's often a dictatorship. People don't actually have the freedom to protest or really do much. I I mean, I lived through all of that. Um, And there's like eight year period where no more than five people can gather to do anything remotely political or they go to prison, you know, like friends, academics like me, you know, constantly get picked up by police for no reason to go and have a chat, right? So it's like scary place uh, in, in so many ways. And so um, I started studying how people get together or protest online, offline. And then now, you know, most governments around the world have been employing various technologies to help them better monitor and survey their own people. 
mm. uh, sniff out dissidents, having a, you know, technology, it's, 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 it's what good or bad for them. Like, it's good because it gives them a better sense of what's actually really happening in their society. Mm. And especially if you're not a democratically elected government, your feet on the ground are not very firm. You're sort of ruling from above. You're not really sure what's really happening, especially with young people. No, you just kind of no idea, no clue. Yeah. Um, so, so social media is good for that. Like give, give them a better house of society. But then it also gives an opportunity to um, manipulate information, you know, to try to attack critics, people who don't believe they should be there. And so I'm studying, you know, the different tools that governments are now using. Um, to take away or reduce our ability to freely express ourselves. Yeah. So it's turning technology on us. Yeah. Um, and um, a lot of the time is we're kind of all in gray zone now, right? I mean, you're not sure if it's propaganda or it's just advertisement. Like, you know, I mean, politicians should have the right to talk well about themselves. So where's the line between promoting themselves, doing good things versus propaganda. Like a lot of these all blur. And then you you add like the cyber warriors and you add like paid uh, click farms. And then you add like this information campaign. And then you add like, oh, this is so interesting because so many things going on. There are bot attacks. There's just so many things. Um, so that's what I'm kind of to trying to look at um, the youth uh, protests in Thailand that began in 2020 uh, during lockdown, <laughs> where yeah. young people were just like, we've had enough. Yeah. We don't care of the curfew and how they got started and the kind of repressive tactics they had received from the state to, you know, reduce their ability to to, to get together. Um, what kind of spyware had been planted on their phones without them knowing that had been a, a recent discovery by a citizen lab at the University of Toronto about the software from Israel um, that had been basically, um, that had, they had found in about 30 uh, phones of the top activists in Thailand in 2021, you know, and how it hacked the information and all of those tools that, isn't just it's it's no longer just beating up protesters, taking them to detention. Now it's all these so many different ways to proactively or or you know or not um, manage how people express themselves, and that's what I'm interested in. It affects uh, me personally, my family, my society. Uh, but it's also an area that really needs a lot more research because so hard to get data yeah data often resides with private companies that are not local so i'm talking social media companies mm -hmm. or in institutions where you can never have access to like military or cyber police so we're you know sort of going to territory where we can never have access to data attribution is pretty much nearly impossible but we are gaining a perspective from the people who had been affected by it to try to better understand the kind of cyber repression they live through. It's fascinating. And it's, listen, we can talk about this topic for another 10 hours, I imagine. I want to touch on your book, Opposing Democracy in the Digital Age. You got such rave reviews that I read. Um, you're also the winner Asian Studies Association of Australia 2022 Early Career Book Prize. So tell us a little bit about the book. Oh, thanks. Um, if anyone reads books anymore, but the entire book is open access. 
So freely downloadable online. I actually went to get a grant just to make that happen because I realized that knowledge, you know, knowledge should be free. Yeah. There shouldn't be a paywall, especially something important. So it's based on like a 14 year field work where I studied protest movement in Thailand before they adopt social media and after they adopt social media. And basically the main finding is that the main finding is that um, social media actually allows the movement, which is a right wing movement in Thailand called the yellow shirt to subvert democracy to bring democracy down and help the military coup to succeed in 2014. And that book is so important. I think it won the prize because up until that, up until Trump was elected in 2016, most people think of uh, social media as a positive thing, especially with the Arab Spring in 2011. Said, you know, so Twitter can bring down a dictator. Mm. That's kind of a, what we call the cyber utopian that we were living in. And yeah. my book kind of broke that up and said, it's always been able to be used by the dark side. You know, it's not like um, you can use it to yeah. repress people. Yeah. Uh, we just need yeah. to get out of that and, and be realistic. And I think that's probably why. And then, you know, Trump got elected, the terror got elected in the Philippines, and now we're living in a cyber pessimist world where... We think of technology, we think of disinformation, troll, bots, you know, all of that. Yeah. But at the time when I was doing the study, everyone was like raving about social media. Yeah. Um, I'm going to get the link for um, the free free download for it and put it in the show notes with your permission, if you can send it to me. Um, I'm conscious of Absolutely. Um, it's been an absolute and fascinating um, talk with you. I know you, you time pressed today. Where can the audience reach you? I'm on Twitter uh, at Amsinpeng or actually just my email. I actually answer email. Or <laughs> <laughs> oh, LinkedIn. They can join you on LinkedIn. So Oh I'll yeah. Go. I yeah. barely go on LinkedIn. But oh. yeah, I, I I'm an academic, so like I just don't go to LinkedIn. <laughs> okay, go to Twitter. People go to Twitter if you want to talk to her. Um, thank you so Wait. much. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank for your you time. so much for the opportunity. It's been Have a good day. interesting. Thank you. And show audience. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Let's Talk Robotics and we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.